I thought it was appropriate to bring on Jean Catherine Gray to speak to us about what we can do when we find ourselves in such close quarters and perhaps what we can do to address the cabin fever that we may be experiencing. Jean is a PhD candidate. She's the executive director of 3PRC. She also has an extensive background in mediation, as well as seven years of private practice experience before she recently made the shift to become a full-time researcher. Let's hear what Jean has to say on the subject. You are listening to What We Should Have Learned in School. So Jean, one of the things I wanted to talk about today is I've been hearing from my clients that maybe they're joking or not so jokingly saying, uh, my spouse is driving me crazy. (laughs) And I know you are home currently with two children that are being homeschooled now. (laughs) You have your husband there as well. So I figured that you could really speak to this. Um, Since we're in such close quarters, is there anything you'd recommend for folks with with that whole notion of of maybe trying to get through this uh, still married or not driving each other crazy, basically? Hmm. Well, it is a really good point, Amy. In fact, the statistics show that divorce rates go up after people shelter in place. So this is an issue for a lot of families where uh, you are living together, you are in close quarters, and the conflict ends up going up instead of down. And fundamentally, what a lot of families don't realize, and they didn't realize this before sheltering in place or whether, whether that's an executive order or you know, a local ordinance, no matter what the situation is, or you're just keeping your family safe, um, that situation emphasizes the way that we think about problems and conflict. So typically, people think problems come from other people. So when I'm upset and I'm feeling angry or hurt, I might blame my partner, my husband, my kids for the way that I'm feeling. Now, I'm not saying that we don't have situations that aren't intolerable in some ways, right? Like, you know, um, certainly one of the problems with sheltering in place for families experiencing physical, mental violence and abuse is that uh, that a concentration of time together can increase those activities. Fundamentally, though, the way we experience those things comes from inside of us. Nobody can put feelings into us. So there's a great variance in how we react and respond to situations that are similar across different circumstances. So, uh, for example, if somebody were to threaten me physically and that's happened to me, my response uh, is is pretty tempered in terms of like calm and res- re- responsive instead of reactive. And um, I'm big on placing boundaries. So, you know, it, it's not okay to threaten me and we're not going to go forward until you stop. Right? Yeah. Now, somebody else, um, they might be quite scared and reactive and they might immediately lash out or innocently um, take more abuse than would necessarily be required. And we just don't always think about our emotional situations in this way. We tend to think about them as if they're always outside in and not about what, what's happening within me that I have some choice about and I have some control over that can help me navigate some really complex and challenging 
logistical situations um, or even threatening situations. So whether you're a family dealing with something that extreme or your family dealing with the day-to-day sort of annoyances, this thinking is actually the same. And, and I think this piece we really miss out on in the field of psychology. Uh, we've, we've noticed in research that our experience comes from the inside out. We've demonstrated that in terms of how the brain works and the function of the brain. Uh, and we've noticed that helping people understand that actually gives them some psychological relief, emotional relief, and then relief from the situation. But as a field, we really haven't grappled with uh, something that really spiritual movements have pointed to uh, really well in some, in some arenas, and something like uh, the three principles of health realization as a spiritual movement has pointed to. The psychology really hasn't grappled with um, the inside-out nature of our experience and how that can compound and create problems for us, or how that can alleviate and help us respond. And that that's a choice that we have that sometimes we don't even know we have innocently. Yeah, I think that would be my next kind of question. If, if someone's listening out there and, 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 and feels kind of drawn to what you're saying, but doesn't even know where to start or, or you know, might be thinking, well, are you saying that it's my fault then? Um, that it's, it's, it's something I should control, that I shouldn't be so grumpy with my spouse or my child? Can you elaborate a little bit more on that, Jean? Absolutely. It's a great question and an important question because if you went away from this conversation thinking, I can control it and I'm at fault, then that would not be true. So fundamentally, that is not true. It's not your fault and you can't control it. Uh, One thing we do know, though, is that thought is a, a regenerative system. It's a constantly flowing system. You can think about thought like a river is always flowing. And the more it flows in a certain area, the more indentation it makes. So you think about how a river uh, goes deeper and deeper into the grooves of the landscape. Thought is like that too. If you rethink and rethink and rethink something, you'll get deeper and deeper grooves in your neural pathways. Um, And like a river, thought changes direction over time. Uh, Thought can be expansive, it can be contractive, right? So we have experience as human beings. In fact, when you hear people talk about their personal experience, you'll hear them say, well, I felt free, I felt expansive, I felt relaxed, open. Or you'll hear them say, I felt contracted, I felt um, constrained, I felt um, boxed in, right? Those are two different ways of describing our experience of thought, which is this river. And so you wouldn't try to control a river drop by drop, just like you wouldn't try to control thought drop by drop. It makes no sense. And yet you can guide a river, right? You can lay attention to certain parts of the river to create more homeostasis, to create more well-being in the river, more health, right? So we can do that with thought. We can, we can pay attention to and cultivate. And the, the simplest way to cultivate and sort of like, what do I do, is to undo. And this is the most difficult thing for human beings. Human beings are incredible action potentials. We love to accomplish tasks. We love to accomplish goals, um, especially Westerners in, in our culture that's highly prized. 
so there's a real dilemma sometimes when people listen to this conversation where they're like, okay, now how do I fly it? What do I do? And the first step is typically recognizing that you can't, that you can't do in that way, that no amount of sort of meditation or maybe even prayer, I mean, there's a number of ways people cultivate thought, um, does that for you in a very specific pinpointed way that will free you. And yet we find that people who are open to it, who are curious about, who are reflective and have some sense of self-assessment about what's going on, can see the process in play and can reserve for a moment or hold back for a moment or undo what they normally do how they normally react. And then, of course, this gives you new neural pathways, right? It has new branches in the river, which allow you to cultivate a different experience. So it's this subtle thing, like, yes, you get to participate, but no, you're not in control. And that's probably the insight that's most needed in any relationship, including our families. Since we have such a short time today, would there be a certain resource or resources that you would guide listeners to for maybe wanting to explore more of what you're you're saying today? Yeah, so I do encourage people to check out uh, the Three Principles of Health Realization Movement. 3PGC is a practitioner organization, but the webinars are accessible for all people. So you can just click on the link under 3PGC webinars. And they have regular webinars, so you can get weekly or monthly. Uh, also, uh, Amy Leo is an incredible resource, resource, especially for those relationship-oriented questions. You know, I, I highly recommend you and your site. Um, and there's a, a myriad of resources out there. Uh, one of the things you can do is read, uh, read, watch videos, and generally become interested and intrigued in how your humanness works. That's really, once people become a little bit interested in that, it can have a compounding positive impact on your life behavior and goals and choices and your relationships. So I highly recommend taking that approach to your well-being. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you, Jean. Thank you. It's also bringing up um, this notion of, of maybe a, a couple more specific examples, because one thing that I've really seen through this current situation is how people have a completely different experience of what's going on. And sometimes I can see um, that even logistics dealing to the pandemic can cause some issues within the family, whether um, one family member uh, insists on still going out to uh, go to the post office or something like that. Or um, I had one of our, our longtime clients, uh, you know, they're 84 and 85, and it's getting really hard to keep the husband still in the house, even though their kids are bringing them groceries. Can you speak to that? How, we, how can we support one another in keeping each other safe versus um, kind of just getting angry at each other? Because it seems like that doesn't really work too, too well, because people will re rebel a little bit, <laughs> or, or they're just in an angry feeling for days uh, on end. <laughs> yeah. Well, I do know about this. My husband regularly was like, oh, I have to run to the hardware store to pick up this one item 
or, oh, we're out of ABC, right, whatever it is, so I'm going to make a stop. And in fact, before this pandemic, we shopped at quite a few stores so to get our grocery list even. So then we had to make choices about, well, where are we going to shop? And um, one of the things that had to happen for us is we had to sit down and really listen to each other. And I, I think fundamentally, as a mediator and as somebody who works in family conflict, this is the key ingredient that is missing in family dynamics. It's listening. And I know that most families are like, well, I do listen. <laughs> and like, they're a broken record. <laughs> um, but the bottom line is, if you are saying that to yourself about your spouse, about your kids, then I can assure you from years and years of experience that you have stopped listening. Mm. And it's been a long time since you got quiet enough inside to really hear what somebody else has to say. So the number one thing I would recommend is if you're dealing with feelings of anger for hours and hours, days and days, weeks and weeks, months and months, uh, that you're missing this component. Mm. And you may need to start listening just to yourself. So you can do that by journaling, not to reinforce your story, but to just pay attention to, oh, what's happening to me? Oh, I feel that way. Oh, what, what am I thinking? Oh, I think that way. And, and to encourage you to do it in a reflective state. So rather than a angry state, oh, I hate that guy. He's such a jerk, blah, 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 blah. Uh, okay, this is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm seeing. I am really taking responsibility for your experience. I see that I am having this experience. And then the invitation is to expand that listening beyond yourself to another person. And I would say, if you can start with somebody who is easy. So call a friend and say, you know, I'm doing some listening exercises for myself. And I'd love to just listen for 10 minutes. Now this can feel awkward because I'm actually telling you not to talk. You know, don't say, oh, I know exactly what you mean. Or, oh, that happened to me when I was five or whatever the thing is. I really want to encourage you to drop what's on your mind and just listen to the other person. Just let them share. And tell them you're going to do that. Say, I'm practicing something. Would you be willing? And maybe you even have a friend who'd be willing to do that by Zoom or by phone just for 10 minutes each. I'm just going to talk at all. I'm just going to talk. Now, the key here is this is a listening exercise. So it's not a reinforcement of what you believe exercise. You know, it's, it's really attending to how am I listening right now? Where did I go while I was listening? Did I get so busy with my own personal thinking that I didn't even hear what they said? And so you can do a check-in with each other, like, how busy was I when I was listening? You can ask them, did you feel like I was listening? Mm. Amazing, the impact on the brain for listening. And people don't realize this, but when we get really quiet internally, our brain actually has these really good feel-good hormones. Uh, there's connection that happens. and so there's a positive experience that occurs. So you are the first beneficiary of listening, really literally physically and emotionally and mentally. And then the second beneficiary is the person who you're listening to, who also gets to slow down the brain and just allow thought to flow through. Now, uh, there's a wonderful resource called um, the thinking, thinking it's a, uh, I'm going to forget. Maybe we could post it later. 
Sure. Thinking uh, environment. What did you say? Thinking environment. Thinking yeah, thinking environment is a great book, uh, especially her second book, and um, certainly anything that helps you become a little distant from your busy your story, from your busy mind, from your idea that you're right, right, whatever that is. <laughs> uh, and then the last person you want to try that on is somebody who you're in conflict with. So you get a little practice under your belt, and then maybe somebody in your home. Maybe you have more than one person. <laughs> Uh, pick the easiest one. And the next time, you know, you're interacting with them and hopefully not while you're in a fight, just like you're making a meal or something day to day you always do, pay attention to your listening. Invite yourself to really listen and notice what you've not been noticing because fundamentally what people do is we anticipate what's going to happen and we lay the groundwork for that. We look for those answers. We look for the expected. Our brains are organized that way. And so we have to really consciously break out of that habit or pattern in order to understand another person. So the impact on the, of this is that the outcomes begin to change. And you can't know that unless you try it for yourself, right? I can't tell you the outcomes are going to be different until you experience that for yourself. So that would be something to report back to Amy, Leo, and I on is I did this and here's what I experienced. Uh, get some guidance from a mentor or a coach or a three principles facilitator. Get some help with, oh, there's something that can happen over here that can fundamentally change my experience and that changes outcomes. And so that's worth every investigation. Hmm. And then if that doesn't work, maybe we should uh, just chain people to the radiator and not let them out of the house. Or <laughs> Don't <kidding>. recommend chains. <laughs> and if you're feeling so angry that you're going to hurt someone, I, I recommend you reach out. I mean, yeah. that fundamentally, yeah. there's nothing more damaging than violently lashing out at your partner, either verbally or physically. And it doesn't help you feel better. You know, it, it perpetuates itself. Uh, so y yes, it's human to have reactivity and yes, it's not required. So there, there are other pathways you can engage and you can get support for that. Yeah. So fundamentally, I want to encourage people to do that, whether that's, you know, getting a better understanding of your human, your humanness and how that works, uh, of your mental health and where you access that, or even through mediation and support. Those are worthwhile endeavors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and again, there's such a, there's a piece that's also possible of those moments of compassion when you see that, you know, we're in a global situation of unknown and people are, are afraid and, and people are dealing with that in different ways. And I think that helps to, to take the judgment out or to take the, um, the sting out of a little bit when you have those moments where that you're realizing everyone's going through this in their own way and, and again trying to really communicate in a way that is practical and can keep everyone as safe as possible but without all the extra all the extra <laughs> emotion and and, and yeah. activity or you can arm yourself with facts mm. so that you know the facts are that if you wash your hands appropriately and feel free to watch a video on that if you wear a mask uh you know you don't touch your face right these kinds of facts keep you safe and so there might be ways for a couple to logistically navigate if they can listen to each other, logistically navigate their different mental health needs as they, as they navigate this pandemic, like this 
Uh, and so I really encourage people get the facts, right? Sit down, listen to each other and make decisions based on uh, risk assessment rather than reactivity, emotional reactivity. And the last thing I wanna say is we have this sort of cultural belief that the unknown is scary, but the unknown is fundamentally unknowable. That does not mean it is scary. And it's difficult for us to peel those layers apart. We, we so believe that I don't know, so I should be scared. Uh, that's not a, a definite, that's not a, a certainty. <laughs> we, so, so I really wanna invite people to challenge yourself. Like, is that true? Is the unknowable just scary? Uh, or is it just unknowable? And, and so we need to navigate with what's known and, and share from where we are. I just encourage families to do that as much as possible. Great, Jean. Thank you. I, I think if you have a little bit more time, I have one more question, okay. um, which is kind of on the other side of it, because I think, is your mom still, she's out of state, uh, sheltering in place in a different state? Yeah, so I typically live with my mother, or my mother lives with me, depending on how you want to. <laughs> and she it was on vacation when this went down, and she decided to stay where she was. Uh, part of that was we were worried about her traveling back. Mm -hmm. She was in, she's in a hot zone, so we were worried about her just making the trip back. Yeah. And then part of that was because we have more family members here, and she's isolating alone, she's actually at higher risk here with us even though we are also social distancing. So we felt like it was a good choice uh, for her to stay where she was. Yeah, and this is actually something I've seen very common also in my family because my husband's from Finland. So we have a whole other side of the family that's in Finland. And so can you speak to maybe uh, dealing with the worry, the natural worry or the care of being separated from a loved one during this time? And then if, if they are self-isolating, maybe you speak to loneliness and then we'll, we'll wrap it up for today. Yeah. Well, I mean, human beings are fundamentally connectors. Uh, we actually, you know, as infants, we would die without physical, emotional connection. So we need physical touch. It's an important part of our lives. Uh, this is a really good time if you're an isolated older person to get a pet. And there are SPCAs in the United States that offer companionship with a pet and even fostering and we'll take the pet back if you're older and you're worried about passing away. So I want to encourage you to put things in place uh, like a pet. Or um, the other thing is to set up Zoom calls, to set up... Some people have done a really good job of choosing another person to social distance with. Uh, I actually have a friend who meets with me every day and we go for a hike about an hour. We actually don't come close to each other. We stay eight feet apart in order to contribute to that social distancing and sort of extra security. Uh, but we're both doing social distancing in our separate homes. So there's a lot of benefit to us just seeing each other, having those conversations. Um, and so I encourage older people to make choices like that. You have to, it's a risk assessment. Uh, what is the risk and what is the risk to my mental health versus my physical health? Those are sometimes different things. And so we have to balance them. The bottom line is, you know, none of us get out of life alive in the end, like we all are going to pass away. And so we want that life to be a quality of life and we want that life to be safe in certain ways and healthy. And so ways that we can navigate that, think logistically, you know, what's the best way for me to get the kinds of support I need? Um, and if you social isolate without any kind of support or connection, 
you know, you run the risk of sort of growing the other extreme. You run the risk of um, not not really seeing any benefits to that mentally. You know, seeing only detriments to that. Uh, unless I guess you have just naturally are someone who self isolates. <laughs> but most people do need some kind of connection. Uh, so I just encourage uh, families to talk about that, to consider that. Um, I definitely encourage older people with grandchildren not to visit grandchildren because grandchildren are likely to be, be uh, asymptomatic and have the virus. Uh, but if you are in a situation where the whole family can isolate, certainly that you know could work. Uh, and so again, it's a risk assessment, figuring out what everybody in the family needs and how to keep everybody safe. Is that helpful, Amy? Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, I've just seen, again, a lot of families, in my experience, are being separated. And I know a lot of folks can't see their kids and they're sad about it, but, you know, they're making sure they're talking on the phone, you know, every day. Um, I know also Skype is being used often, too, which is great. Uh, video conference. We video conference our Finnish grandmother, which is lovely. You know, she's 83 and savvy as ever with technology. So it's, it's, it's awesome. Well, I do so. think that's the biggest obstacle for a lot of older people. Some older people don't have any technology savvy yeah. and it's difficult to bring in someone right now to help with that. So, you know, if you know someone who's older, who's self-isolating, if you can give them some direction, you know, by phone on how to use some of these mediums, you, it would be super helpful. I really yeah. encourage people to reach out to older people in the community and get them on social media, get them on some kind of way to talk visually. My mom did have help with that. She didn't have a camera where she was and she didn't know how to set it up. So she did end up bringing in a computer person who had also been self-isolating, right? It's like a risk assessment yeah. <laughs> who was able to set that up because she needs that going forward. And the truth is we don't know how long this is going to last. So we you know, need to uh, consider the longevity of such a, a situation for our older population, especially. Yeah. yeah. Great. Well, thank you, Amy. It's such a pleasure to see you and talk to you, of mm -hmm. course, especially during this <laughs> pandemic. And, um, and I really want to encourage people, you know, I think sometimes we forget there are people out there who are available. And uh, when we feel bad or are feeling low or mentally unhealthy, or caught up, uh, we tend to think that's a situation forever. So I just want to encourage you that that's a changing state. There is nothing about negative feelings that persist forever. Even for clinically depressed people, they change. And so I want to encourage you uh, not to buy in to that thinking uh, or buy into the thinking there's something fundamentally wrong with your spouse, <laughs> but, but really invite you to reach out, make connections, get support and, uh, and, and listen, listen to yourself and listen to others. You've been listening to what we should have learned in school. If you found this to be helpful, I really encourage you to share it with a friend or a family member.